You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm super excited. We have special guest Royce Hunt Bell, who is the creator of Royce Cycle Treasures. Royce Cycle empowers creatives through inspiration, instruction, and transformative craft supplies. So we're going to talk about how Royce transforms old treasures into new things. She has spent several years picking rusty, dusty treasures and breathing new life into them. She uses quality products that renew her repurposed finds for years to come. A big part of repurposing old junk is problem solving. She is led to share many of her secrets with you, and she will talk about some of them today. She has always been drawn to the idea of taking that which has been casted away and consider junk by others and giving it a new purpose. Outside of running Royce Cycle Treasures, Royce has spent a majority of her career working in social services and for the nonprofit sector. She began her career working with young mothers and coaching them to see their true value and potential. And she's worked as an advocate for seniors who often are forgotten and cast away. Royce, thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited because a lot of what you do, I've never heard of. And I say that I'm not the most creative person, but you say that anyone can recycle a treasure. So let's hop into what inspired you to start your company, Recycle Treasures, and then we'll get into how do creatives and non-creatives do amazing things like you. What could, you know, I, I, people ask me that question a lot and I will tell you, I have, um, I didn't start out like you'll hear business people that say I had an idea and I set out to do this thing. And that's not quite how my business was born. Um, I honestly just create and the Lord creates the opportunities once I start being creative. And so, um, my first business endeavor that I had, I was making paper mache deer heads, which sounds crazy, right? Um, <laughs> the first one I made was actually as a joke, uh, not as a joke, but it was, it was a joke. And then people saw it and they wanted them. So, um, I started making them to sell. And then I had been introduced to Etsy about the same time. And it was really easy to open a store on Etsy at that time. The, the fees were almost nothing. And so I listed my first deer head on Etsy. And within like three months, I was shipping deer heads all over the world. It was really insane. You should have seen my kitchen island. Like <laughs> I had all these half-built heads on my island. Um, and so that's really where my creative business endeavor started. And it's really grown organically from that place. And of course, I've learned... Um, some hard lessons, but always valuable lessons along the way. So just to be clear, you said paper mache deer head. So there was no real deers involved. You're just no. creatively putting the vision together using paper and a liquid substance, right? I remember yes. paper mache vaguely. I've made a volcano in high school. That was probably <laughs> about it. Or somewhere, some some period of school and it exploded. And that was my paper mache experience. So the fact that you could take paper and mold it into an animal, that's quite impressive. And sounds like you've 
been creative most of your life. Would you say that? Have you always been an artistic, creative person? I've always been creative um, in some form or another. There's always been something. Um, I, I, I often wonder, like one day when I'm old and I have time, I'm going to like take classes and learn how to do some like um, formal, like, you know, watercoloring or because I grew up with a single mom and, you know, we just I, the opportunity wasn't there to be able to have that. Um, but there's always been something like always, always something that I'm doing creative. I love that. So you're not formally trained. You are just following whatever inspires you to create. Literally. Yes. That's amazing. So I want to talk more about that because, you know, in your bio, I talked about how you've pretty much been in the service sector, whether it's social services or nonprofit and you've been running recycled treasures. So how long were you balancing both um, in your career? And what was that like? Um, it was, there were times when it was really hard. I want to say um, my first business endeavor probably um, like grew to a place where it was considered like a real business in like 2012. And I mean, there were nights that I was up until two or three o'clock in the morning and then I'd sleep for a couple of hours and then I'm up, you know, at 6 a.m. getting dressed and going into work. And um, as an executive director of a nonprofit, my job wasn't even eight to five Monday through Friday. You know, there are chamber mixers and um, events in the community. And so balancing all that was not always easy. Um, yeah. It wasn't always easy. And the, I learned something really valuable with my first, with the, I shouldn't say first. My oldest son is 30. He laughs and says that I've always had a side hustle of some form or another. But um, <laughs> um, that business, so Hannah Anderson is a children's store and they were rebranding their stores. And so they reached out to me to create 50, five zero deer heads, like within like a six week period. And that 50th was the last one that I made. <laughs> so you got tired of your own creation. But th that happens with artists sometimes, right? Like what you're inspired to make doesn't always have to be what you do forever. You were then said, I made 50. Now it's time to move on. So that's pretty I interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I enough. learned a very I, very, I learned a valuable lesson, though, because <clears throat> it was something that only I could do. Like, I, I couldn't train anyone or couldn't um, delegate any part of that process to anyone else. And so I built a business that wasn't scalable. And that I think, is powerful. That's yeah. powerful. What? And so you realized that at the point when you made Deerhead number 50 for this large order? Yes. I realized it about halfway through, but I had to finish. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I was just thinking, I mean, it just wasn't, there was, I guess there was nothing that I could do realistically that would allow me to be able to grow that business as it was. Um, because I had even experimented with some other shapes and doing other things um, because full mounts were like really big then. And I just, it wasn't scalable and there wasn't really room for wholesale, right? So, you know, um, an order that size, of course, they're wanting to buy at a cheaper, they want a quantity discount, which I gave them. And so I took on this order. I was super excited to do it. Um, 
I was honored that they asked me to do it. I was excited about having an order that size, but I cut my per price, you know, in order to give them a quantity discount, um, which cut my profit margin way down. So it was a lot of work. Um, and honestly, I, I didn't recoup like the, the work that I had to, to do to be able to create that um, didn't equal what I ended up making, you know, financially from that. And I love that lesson because I want to know how did you take that lesson and do things differently when it came to Recycle Treasures? So with Recycle Treasures, I started off doing one-offs, meaning I would, you know, buy a piece of furniture for like $15. And I would fix it and re, you know, repurpose it and paint it or turning it into something totally different. And then I'd mark it up and I'd sell it, which was fine. But I always knew that I was going to have to find a way to scale my business. So um, I really started looking for opportunities to sell products. You know, um, and so I really moved into a space where I now have a product-based business. So I'm still doing the upcycling and the repurposing, but um, most of my videos, my tutorials, my blog articles are showing people how to do it using product A, B, C, and D. So that's really the part of my business. Um, That's really the business part of my business. I think that's phenomenal. And I want to really kind of dissect that a bit because some entrepreneurs are so focused on being the center of their brand and what they're doing. And you're talking about the importance of scaling and creating products that allow other people to do it. So you're not even worried about competition or someone else creating furniture beautifully, just like you. You're like, here, I'm not even, I'm not only going to show you how to do it. I'm going to give you the tools to do it. So that's pretty phenomenal and really smart if you ask me. So I want to ask you this question, based on your business model and how you operate now, do you really feel that anyone can restore and revive an old piece of furniture? I do. I just think it's a matter of learning the tools. Um, I honestly feel like every person is creative. Now, it looks different from person to person. You know, (laughs) my husband's a writer. But we switched because I do a live every Sunday night on my Facebook page and we swap places one night and he had to create. He was able to create something. I just think that it's a matter of perspective. So my best friend in the whole world, we've been friends forever. We are opposite in every way you could ever imagine. She's always said that she wasn't creative. And I always challenge her and tell her, it's not that you're not creative. You just have an expectation of perfection that stops you. And so I think that a lot of times that's the thing is that someone's creating something and there's an expectation that it's going to be perfect. And then when it's not perfect, then they just say, oh, I'm just not creative. Perfection is definitely a vice that can stop people from doing a lot of things. Their gifts from God, pursuing what they're really meant to do. It's it's very interesting that you bring that up because it's it procrastinates people from being their greatest selves in some cases. And so I have another question for you. You know, what are some common household items that people can easily revive or renew? I'm constantly looking around my house thinking I should get rid of things. And you're saying that there's a way to reinvent it or make it anew. What are some of the things you've just walking around the house you've transformed? Any surface. Honest to God, any surface. And so if you um 
maybe you're just starting out and you know how your, you know, your family gives you furniture, none of it matches. And you're thinking, you know, it's just not worth keeping. It doesn't match my style. You know, it's not my aesthetic. It doesn't match anything else in my house. But the reality is a coat of paint can fix that, right? Um, you can even change the way a piece of furniture is stylized. So let's just say you like, like I prefer really modern clean lines, like um, mid-century modern is my favorite. Um, but you can get a piece of furniture and maybe the things that make it um, seem dated are like the, most dressers have like a kickboard on the bottom that may be curvy. You can remove that and replace it with a straight piece of wood and now it looks more modern. The hardware may be dated. Well, you can take the hardware off and put new hardware on there. So there are usually like 95% of the time, there are changes that you can make to almost anything um, to make it resemble, you know, your aesthetic, certainly, and to modernize it. You just have to think about things differently and have the knowledge to be able to do it. I love that. And when you say hardware, you're talking about the knobs the and the handles. Yeah, all the fun yes. stuff. Right. I love yes. that. So I'm, you know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about my bedroom set, which I inherited from my mom. She, I didn't inherit. She gave it to me because she's still alive. Um, but my mom has this amazing, very heavy wood furniture set that was made in Panama. And then when she downsized and I got a house, I was like, mom, let me have your furniture. Because I can't find furniture that lasts like this, that has a quality like this, that's the heavy, durable wood like this. So I've taken it and it's a part of my home. But my husband wants to modernize. But every time we look for furniture, it's particle wood. It's just not the quality for the price that I'm seeing. So now you've kind of even inspired me. And I do not always feel that I'm a creative in the art side of things um, to think about how could I restore this furniture and make it a new because it's a full end table dresser and two dressers sets that are absolutely amazing. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Let me put some more thought into that and check out some of your videos. So I want to, you can take a, <clears throat> I always challenge people take a, cause there's furniture you've looked at where you said, Oh, I really love that. But then you look at it closer and it's not the quality you want, but what do you love about that furniture? Like you just ask yourself, what are the things that you love about that furniture? And then where are the opportunities for you to integrate that into what you have? Because furniture used to be, um, it was a craft. There were skilled craftsmen that built furniture and they took pride in their work. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist today, but it certainly doesn't exist at a price point that most of us can afford. If you enjoy listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to this show. We love to hear your thoughts and feedback and want to continue to provide content that you love. Thanks in advance for a five-star review. Absolutely. The, the facts, facts. Because now it's it's shipped, you know, straight from certain countries and it's definitely not holding up through even a move or two. And I've moved quite a bit. So I've lost some items that just weren't meant to be used for an extensive amount of time. But who wants to keep buying the same things? So I like your tip on if I like something, let me figure out why I like it and whether or not I can transform that piece. So I want to talk a little bit about 
some terms I saw on your website that have to deal with the reviving and the renewing and the recycling of furniture, because I don't even know what they mean. But like, tell us a little bit more about some of your products and the process. Like one is called decoupage. Did I get that right? You did. Excuse me. So decoupage is not new, right? Um, I used to decoupage like little boxes with my grandmother when I was little. And then we put it over like the, the Kleenex box, you know? So decoupage is just literally a process of gluing paper onto a surface. Like that's decoupage at its most basic. But um, when I started, when I, when I started refer, refinishing furniture, um, there were things that I wanted that weren't available on the market. So I would go out looking for something specific and I didn't find it. So I started designing my own decoupage papers for my own projects. And um, then my friends started asking me to design decoupage paper for them. And I started doing that. And so through like this really relatively organic process, I now have, I need to count roughly 250 retailers in the US, Canada, Australia, and now the UK who sell my designs or my decoupage paper. So that's really the larger, the largest part of my business. The other stuff that I sell, like the paint, um, I sell white Owl chalk style paint and I sell paint brushes and transfers and all the things, girl, to make things beautiful. Wow. So what was it like to be someone who got into international retail stores? What what's that process like? How do you do it? And what do you feel when you've done it? I it's. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be in the in the beginning when I first started getting requests from international you know customers. Um, I tried to figure out all the things, you know, the importing, the duties, you know, any additional fees, because every country is completely different. And, um, it's you know, we were talking about perfectionism earlier. I believe I probably would have been international earlier had I not spent so much time trying to come up with a perfect plan right, for being able to export. When I put the onerous on the business owners who were interested to figure that out, I just gave them the information, like, you know, this is the price points. This is the suggested retail here in America. I know there's probably a difference in your country. Um, And I would challenge them. So take some time looking at your market to make sure that your market can support the price that you're going to have to charge with the additional fees that are required for you to import the product. Um, and when I made that shift is when it started happening really, really fast because they wanted the product, but I wasn't making it available because I wanted to know all the things, but um, I just put the onerous on them to do the research and to figure out because there was no way, like everybody is completely different. That is such a golden gem. So transferring responsibility, delegating that to those who wanted it, and then leaving yourself available to ship it when they were ready. That's an amazing tip. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs who are listening today to realize that you don't have to figure it all out on your own. You don't have to do all the research. Sometimes you just need to put the onus on someone else. And if they really want it, they're going to figure it out because they had the motivation. So that's amazing. I'm so appreciative of you sharing that tip because I think that that perfection saw so much potential. Now you are more available to people around the world. Your products are being sold in other countries and you are 
benefiting obviously as well from the revenue because now you're a full-time entrepreneur, right? And you are no longer working a nine to five. So what does that feel like? How did you prepare for the transition for yourself mentally and for yourself financially? So last year, my husband and I talked about it and we set like a number, like, you know, our, my net revenue needs to be like a certain amount before our household can afford for me to walk away from my job. And so um, I really thought I would hit that number in like December of 2020. And we hit it like in June of 2020. This weird thing happened during the pandemic. People were home and, and they were looking for a way to really deal with the emotional and mental stress of what was happening. And and being creative was a big part of that for a lot of people. And so we had set a financial goal for when it would be, you know, um, even realistic for me to be able to do this full time. And then the second part is last year we had to make some capital purchases. So um, I I was taking orders manually, girl manually, like with spreadsheets. Yes, it was a hot mess. And so I knew that in order for me to be able to scale and do what I wanted to do, that I was going to have to automate my process. And so I had to, you know, hire some programmers to do some stuff on the back end of my website to make that work. And we work with the manufacturers. So now that my system, our systems are tied and that whole process is automated. Um, So that was a big investment. And then I'm in what is actually just, I bought a little shed, you know, those pre-built sheds. Um, And we built it out so I could have my own space. It's in my backyard. I didn't want to take on the overhead of buying, like leasing commercial property. So um, we set a goal to have this paid off by the end of the year. So there were some expenses that we needed. I mean, there were some things that we needed to have done. And our goal was to have all that paid off before I walked away from my job and also to do some work um, behind the scenes to position us to be able to just be able there were some things we had to do behind the scenes that just enabled us to have the capacity to even handle um, the additional workload from, from just growing. Cause I went from in January of 2020, I had about 43 retailers and here we are June of 2021. I have 250. So that's like, that's how fast. Wow. Um, I love that plan, though. You talked about it, communicated, you set a goal, you crushed it, and then you still made sure that as much as possible, you entered entrepreneurship debt-free. So providing yourself a workspace where you could be creative, providing yourself the numbers that could validate I can use this income to support my family. And then, like you said, scaling your business from your original number to 250 worldwide retailers. That is so inspirational. I, you know, kudos to you because it's difficult to walk away from something you've been so comfortable with, that security of a nine to five job. And the fact that you were running two full-time obligations at the same time. Girl. Wow. Girl, it, wow. It was a season. <laughs> wow. And I was taking care of my mom. I mean, I had my mom, I took care of my mom full time until we lost her in August. I don't know how. I, people ask me how. I have no idea. Wow. No idea. Wow. And then you could have been very tempted to quit early in June and you still persevered until the timeline you'd set for yourself. Amazing. Well, 
I didn't leave my night. So I hear a lot of people talk about their nine to fives. Like they're like, oh, I can't wait to leave this place. It wasn't that. Like I was an executive director running a nonprofit and I still, I still volunteer for, for my nonprofit. I still very much um, believe in the missions and the goals. I'm going to cry a little bit. Um, the work that we did was so valuable. And last year in particular, you know, I watched um, other countries just turn their back on their elderly and just leave them to die. And um, we just weren't not going to do that. And I couldn't in good conscience walk away from my organization in the middle of a pandemic, knowing um, how important our services were to the population that we serve. And so um, the Lord honored me by giving me the opportunity of that job. And so I had to be honorable in the way I exited that job. So I, I gave my notice in October and I left in January. So, and then I'm still on contract until the end of this month, you know, just to help with the transition mm -hmm. to make sure that our current executive director is successful and that the organization continues to live beyond, you know, my exiting. Oh man, so, you will be blessed for that. I just, that's amazing because you're right. A lot of people struggle with working and they want to be free and they want to be a full-time entrepreneur, which comes with its own challenges, but you left with grace. You gave them a grace period, advance notice. You're still with them. You're still mm -hmm. contributing to the community that you we're meant to serve. I, that's such a beautiful story. I'm, I'm moved by your emotion because it, it just further validates that you are connected and serving in a genuine capacity and you're making a difference. You're making a difference um, in the nonprofit. Hopefully. Yes, you are. There's yeah. no way you, you, you weren't, right? Because you've impacted probably thousands of people in the process of your career and now through your recycled treasures. So I just, I just want to thank you for sharing your story, being honest. The name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money. So I'm curious to know what is your purpose for money? What motivates you um, to keep building your empire? You know, it's funny you ask me that question because I was at the senior center today where I do crafts every week with my seniors. And so we were planning and I was talking to my activities coordinator and I was telling him, I'm nervous. I've never done a podcast before. Like, what is she going to ask me? You know, and I have this thing and it's my thing because if you look at me on paper, there is nothing about me that qualifies me to be where I am. There's nothing, not one thing, um, but the Lord's favor, which is apparently enough. Um, and so he said something to me and it's, and I told him, I'm like, thank you for that word. Cause I needed that today. He said, Royce, he says, you are a creative, you focus on creating and the money takes care of itself. And that's really how I function. I mean, um, do I want to be able to, um, put away enough money so that my grandson does not have to worry about how he's going to pay for his college education? You know, absolutely. Do I want to be able to retire and not have to worry about, you know, how we're going to pay for things? Absolutely. But um, my quality of life has more to do with my perspective. Um, and I don't know. I'm just not a big money person. Girl, I live in a little bitty house and my grandmother left me. And 
still. That's amazing though. So your grandmother left you a home, you've moved in, you still live there. Is this mm-hmm. something you plan to pass down to your children's children? You know what? I don't know. I know this. I don't know because I don't know. It's it's a really tiny house. It's an older home. But this is what I know. And it's so funny because my grandmother, who um, didn't get to vote because until she was like almost 30. Like, I'm going to cry again. This woman, let me tell you, girl, like this is where I get it from. Because my grandmother had a job and she would be cooking dinners on weekends and taking in laundry. Like whatever she had to do to make sure that um, like my, my grandmother owned a home in like. I live in Southern Arizona and it's a little, we're about, about 15 years behind everybody else. Um, and my grandmother still owned a home in like 1956 in this community, which just is not heard of. And it was just that work ethic. And so um, even if my kids don't take this house, I still understand the value of the transfer of wealth that property ownership uh, affords from generation to generation. So I don't know if this, home will be, um, you know, somebody else's home. But I do know that it'll be part of a legacy of my being able to pass on, you know, a portion of wealth to my children. And I understand the value of that. Beautiful. What a great way to end our show. I love this conversation we had. And so Royce, now I want my listeners to be able to find you, follow you and buy products from you. So tell me, where can my guests find you on social media and what's your website? Um, My website is www.roycycled.com. It's just like recycled, but there's just an O instead of an E. Um, on Facebook, I'm Recycled Treasures. On Instagram, I'm Recycled. TikTok, I'm Recycled. Everywhere, Pinterest, I'm Recycled. And I just started um, working on my YouTube channel where you'll find tutorials, step-by-step tutorials. Facebook, there's a lot of chat, chat, chat because they're lives, you know. So if you want succinct information, <laughs> you can find me on YouTube. Love it. I want everyone to check it out. And to help you, I will share the links in the show notes. So check out the full show notes if you want to click and go. I hope that a lot of people follow you and start to renew some treasures in their own homes after listening to this episode. As usual, guys, if you like it, you loved it, make sure to like, share, and leave a review and share with anyone who would benefit from the content too. I appreciate you guys. Until next time, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep creating freedom in your life today.